Hunted by the Bronteford Beast by Jagger Cole. The monster hunting my nightmares might be the man of my dreams. The hell I was born into broke me, damaged me, and pieced me back together. I've come a long way from Russia's foster system. Now I'm third in command to my brother, the head of the Koshenko Bravada. But the past has a way of never staying there. There's a demon on the loose, a huge, massive, ruthless killer they call the Beast. Kostoya Romanov has broken out of his cage looking to settle a blood debt he thinks my family owes him. Now he's hunting for one thing, me. The hunt is on, but I shouldn't like that he watches me. I shouldn't tremble with heat and anticipation every time I feel those eyes pierce, possess, and caress. The prey shouldn't ache for the hunter. The rabbit shouldn't crave the wolf's sharp teeth. He's invaded my every waking thought, corrupting every dream and it's getting hard to keep track of what I should or shouldn't be feeling. I might be the broken beauty he's been looking for, and God help me, he might be exactly the beast I've always wanted. Buckle up, this Bratva Stalker captive romance is a steamy, non-stop thrill ride that I promise will leave you breathless and aching for more. Safe, absolutely no cheating, no cliffhangers, and a perfect happily ever after. That's Hunted by the Bratva Beast, by Jagger Cole. Get it today. Welcome back to another week at Read Me Romance. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. You got Alexa Raleigh with you. It's Leanne Mel. Hey. Hey. You get a full <laughs> audiobook this week. Yes, a brand new full audiobook. We're super excited. I was about to say the book we're actually playing right now instead of the one we featured. I was like, oh, to be my hard headed wife. I'm like, shit, we've already done that one. <laughs> no, we've got Mink with us today, his deadly darling. Super excited about it. She's brought us this full length audiobook. And we're going to split it up for you into two parts this week. It's, you know, new to the podcast and we love her. So, yeah, people ask us a lot if that's us, if if we're mink. And it's funny, like, I'll get a message like, I've figured it out. (laughs) You know, I had somebody do that. Like, they were a detective. They were like, I just want you to know, I know. And I was like, what? Like, I know what you did last summer. (laughs) You know, like that thing. I was like, no, I know that's you. And I'm like, no, it's not. We know who she is. She's a friend. But like, no, <laughs> it's just funny. Like people just make assumptions, I guess. But, you know, I always wonder sometimes like when I see like new names pop up and they have their shit together. I'm like, who is this? <laughs> like, yeah, I know I did author. the same thing too. I'm Do you like, think that? Yeah. I'm like, this yeah. is too clean and clear. It's like, too good. I can usually tell what's real new and what's like. Um, they've been around yeah 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 because when you see an author with like their first book or like their third book out of the gate like great cover social media presence has promos has teasers like has blog stops set they up we're like or wonky i'm or... like this is another author on this mm-hmm. this is undercover author but yeah. i will say a lot of times, and you know, most people may not know this if you're not in the publishing industry, but if you are an author and you have published books with a traditional publisher, most of the time you have to sign contracts. It's like a non-compete clause where you can't release any other books except the books you're releasing with the publisher. Yep. So 
to go out, let's say Alexa Riley had a publishing deal where we're going to publish a book, you know, and we can't, we can't publish our own books. Like Alexa Riley couldn't self-publish anything else. You know, it's not even that we could go to another publisher. We can't go to anywhere. So we actually have known people who have had to do this in certain situations where they come up with a pen name because publishing is scary because you just like you never have a guarantee if people are going to love your book or if you write a book for a publisher it's usually a year before you actually publish it and a lot of times authors don't get advances yeah and for again for people who don't know an advance is what a publisher will get you because they're betting on you making that so let's say you get a really nice and like a ten thousand dollar advance the publisher believes that you're going to sell more than $10,000 worth of books. And if you don't, you have to pay that advance back. (laughs) So that really fucking sucks. But like in that event though, most authors don't get that. Like you have to be established. You have to know that they're going to earn this. They're not going to take a chance on you. They're not going to give you any money unless they know for certain this book's going to sell. I know a few authors that have done that, made the pen name so they could keep writing other stuff. But I also know a lot of people do it because... You know, sometimes genres, like, they don't like to cross over. So if a paranormal author Mm -hmm. tries Mm -hmm. to write a contemporary, for some Mm -hmm. reason, there's, like, this curve that people don't want to do it. They're like, no, 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 I'm not reading that. Mm -hmm. They don't give it a chance. So they just kind of make it new. Well, you're right. Like there's, there's a very different set of people who will read like paranormal and people who will read contemporary. There's not a big margin in the middle that read both. Yeah. You know, or, and if they do like me, for example, I don't read a ton of paranormal. It's got to be a really specific type or an author that I trust. You know, it's not, I'm not going to branch out and go search it, you know, or something like that. What was the author where she used to write? She had like her regular fluffy books and then she had the dark series that she wrote, but she changed her last name to something else. Oh, that's right. Her last name. I can't remember her first name, but it was dark. Yeah. Yeah. She changed her her pen name. Well, it was still her, but she changed her author last name to dark. Right. Yeah. Was that it? And so like all of her darker books all were in that name and yeah. I thought that was really genius mm-hmm. but um I don't know, you know where they are now <laughs> I know right like I obviously yeah, it's stuck in my brain but I can't remember I remember reading a couple that were good yeah yeah but you know so so yeah authors who you know are contractually obligated to not write any other books that's putting all a lot of eggs in one basket to not get paid for a year So they have to either write under a secret pen name where they don't tell anybody or you have authors that are just out and about it that are just like, hey, I write this under this name. I write contemporary and I write paranormal under this. I mean, there's some authors who are out about it. So, you know, it's it's really tricky how you how you sort of go down that path. So, you know, it's I don't know. I like I don't know. I don't know if I would ever. Okay, let me stop and say this. So we've always said you can make any book an Alexa Riley book. Like, you know, you can make, you can put an Alexa Riley spin on anything. Like, give me a story and we can somehow morph it to fit Alexa Riley because we're like, oh, it's got to be, you know, instant love, instant love, like the hero's going to be over the top, there's a happily ever after, there's no cheating. So we can, you can tell me any sort of story and we can, you know, 
come up with our own idea on how to make that fit ours. Yeah. Like with vampires or with like, a, you know, whatever we've decided to do, cowboys or whatnot, whatever trope. But there are a lot of authors who try and write in different genres and it just doesn't stick, you know? Yeah. And I think I, that's... Do I? Go ahead. No, I think that's with the loving what you write. Yeah. Yeah. I always thought whenever you're reading something and you're like, God, this has everything I like in it. Why aren't I like into this book? And I think that sometimes that the author isn't into it and you're somehow feeling that. Like maybe they're just trying to write in that genre to branch out. Yeah. 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 I think that's a big part of it too. Like maybe burnout. Yeah. I don't know. I actually have a lady listener email. I should, well, I'll do it later, but somebody actually asked that, like, what do you do about burnout? (laughs) So that was a good question. Anyway, I wanted to ask you, you were telling me the other day that you, you're finally got, um, your kids and their cousins were all together, right? And you said they were playing board games, which I think is the fucking sweetest thing ever. Yeah. So they range from like 21 all the way down to my son, which is 11. They all come over. He comes over. Corby came over with his girlfriend, and he was like, oh, can we spend the night? I was like, sure, whatever. But they ended (laughs) up staying up. They played board games downstairs till I had four in the morning. What? We had to make them go to bed. Yeah. Oh, that's so cute. I know. It was What kind of board games were they playing? I can't remember. It was some weird game. It was one game, but. That's adorable. I love it. I can ask my husband, but. Mm-hmm. I got to meet um, Corby's girlfriend. Did she stay too? Yeah, she fell asleep on the couch. I was going to ask, did they sleep in the bed together? No. Mm. No, that would be weird. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I had already heard, I was trying not to have preconceived notions about her, because I've never met Uh-oh. her. And I've met a few of Corby's girlfriends, and I've enjoyed, I think, the, the couple I've missed or met so far. Yeah. But this one came back. Isabel came back. My daughter, she got to spend a weekend with her up at the hunting trailer. Oh, shit. We have a trailer up north where everybody goes. You can four-wheel hunting season, whatever. So they Mm -hmm. all go up to the hunting trailer. And she comes back and she's like, I can't stand this girl. Oh, no. Oh, no. What was wrong with her? I guess. Okay, well, first off, there was a pre-story. So... My dad will let Corby go up to the land because we have a couple cousins up there that mm-hmm. are about his age. And he'll go up there and they'll, they'll do stuff. So he's allowed to stay at the cabin. Just tell mm-hmm. him when he's going. Yeah. The only rule is you can't sleep in his bed. He has his own room. You oh, stay out God. of his room. Mm-hmm. So. Of when course. They, they get to the cabin. My dad goes in his room and he thinks the bed looks a little different. And right smack dab on the floor. Is a handcuff key. No. Oh, that's no. No. Oh, no. So the, oh, I don't want to know. Oh, God. So, of course, Corby's busted. Whatever. Of course. And then, so they were doing some construction work or whatever downstairs, mm-hmm. building another room or something. Mm-hmm. And there's these bars sticking out. And my dad's like, look, this is the perfect hype. You can just use your handcuffs here and stay out of my room. 
<gasps> and his girlfriend was standing there and she like stormed out and sat in the car for like six hours. Shut the fuck up. And that was the worst mistake she could ever make. If she just would have shook it off, everybody yeah. would be fine. Don't you just like nope. fed everybody? No, nope. like, you just on. gave everybody a fucking meal on a silver platter. <laughs> you better not be here for Christmas. You're gonna get like ten handcuffs. Nope. Yep, you are. And now we're gonna ask. We're gonna ask you every ten minutes. Are you okay to stay, or you want to go sit in the car? <laughs> No, but she went and sat in the car. My dad had to go out and talk to her. My sister went out and talked to her. And then I guess she, like, went to my sister and asked her to delete pictures of Corby and his ex-girlfriend at prom. And every night they were running around. She was mad about something. And I don't know. I just God. It's going to explode. so much drama. I I know. I love it. (laughs) It's going to explode because he's turning 21 in September. Oh, God. And she's, like, 19. I'm like, this This is not going to work. This is not going to work out well. Corby just kills me. First remember the loom story, and now the handcuff story. I forgot about that. Did you buy him loom for Christmas? No, I let it go. (laughs) He's doing better, so I was like, I'm not going to bring that up again. No, man, you should have. Now in front of her. (laughs) That would really chap her ass. Oh, my God. God. That sucks. You know, like, well, I remember being that age, but I don't know if I was ever that dramatic. Maybe I was. I don't know. I don't remember. That's embarrassing. So Just pat in a car? I want to be, like, cool and collected. <laughs> You're thinking about being comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> Not like, about getting caught with a handcuff <laughs> in your boyfriend's dad's house. Oh, my God. But, I mean, come on. If the dad is joking about it, it must not be that big of a deal. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. For sure. <laughs> Yeah, but no, you're absolutely, the the wrong thing is leaving and sitting in the car. That's the wrong thing. Yeah. So, here we go. So, how was it when she was at your house? I didn't really hang out with her. She, like, laid down on the couch and was in and out. Oh, While they were playing the board game. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm sorry. (laughs) But this is great. This is so much But I just died about the handcuff key. I was like, of course. Jesus. Of course. Of course. Why would you go in his room if it's the it's the one place you're not supposed to be? Let's go in there. That's I think that's just a kid mentality though. That's I don't know. There's like this um I don't know, uh respect thing these kids are lacking lately. Yeah. I Mm -hmm. swear to God. Oh, the game was risk. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, That's a long one. Yeah. That's, well, like, that's why they were up till four in the morning. <laughs> that's a hard game to play, though. That's mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. Rob sat down with them at one point and was mm-hmm. helping everybody. Okay. Yeah. So I think that's when it really got going and nobody wanted to quit. But Yeah. Yeah. But I just noticed the respect thing, God, with the kids, especially Isabel. And it's like, I don't remember doing that shit. Yeah. So... I'll tell you one that is mortifying. God, I don't even want to tell it. Because <laughs> about you? It, no, about something she did. Oh, okay. And it's mortifying okay. because I feel like I failed. Aww. Does that make sense? You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, I, I did a step wrong. Yeah. yeah. So the same weekend, she was up in the hunting trailer. Mm-hmm. Um, she's sleeping on the couch. Some people mm-hmm. have gotten up. My papa, papa's up. And he gets up and he sets down like on the edge of the couch, not even touching her. And she mm-hmm. like jumps up and is like, what the fuck, Papa? Oh, shit. And I was just like. 
What did he say? Did he say anything? To he him? said, calm down or something like that. And then like three or four hours later, she comes to him and she's like, we need to talk about what happened earlier. Instead of like, I'm sorry. Oh, wow. It's just those yeah. things with these yeah. kids, it seems like. Well, at least she went to him and said she wanted to talk. What did she want to talk about? Did she want it, like she was still upset? Like, I think she wanted to say sorry, but it was how she came at him. Like, yeah, we yeah. need to talk about this. Like, he'd done something to her. Yeah, yeah. When they're all sitting in the living room where everybody hangs out. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I also, I wonder if it's, let me start with the cursing. Because I think this is maybe a generational thing where it seemed like a really big deal. Like, in, like for me growing up, I couldn't say fuck in the house. <laughs> My mom yeah. was just like, you can't say the F word in the house. If you want to say it, go outside. You know, like, it was just one of those things, like, you can't say it. That's why I feel like I've maybe fell or made a misstep, because I don't care what language you use. You Mm -hmm. can say whatever you want. That's always been the rule. Unless you go to school Mm -hmm. and you get in trouble. If you get in trouble and they call me, Mm -hmm. uh, you're in trouble at home, too. If I get notified and get in trouble. Yeah, yeah. So I was... So here she is jumping out, being like, what the fuck, at her grandpa. And I'm just like. Yeah, that sucks. So I'm but like, you, what the hell? But I'll say, like, I have always had a potty mouth. Like, always, always. I remember being in high school getting yelled at, you know, by teachers and stuff because I had such a bad mouth. And I'm that way around my kids, you know. I Not all, not as bad as I normally am around my kids. <laughs> I do control myself to an extent. But they are like when I'm frustrated or I'm mad or like I stub my toe, I'm like, shit. And I'm like, you can't say that. You know, I think it's like I've just tried to instill in them like I'll say this because I'm an adult, but you can't say, it, you know, but I don't know at what point, you know, my daughter's going to turn around and be like, fuck, you know, because yeah. she's going to be like, well, you say it all the time. Well, that's what, And then I'm like, I don't want to like take her with me somewhere. What if we're in somebody's house? Yeah. And she jumps up and does that to one of my friends or something. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I hear you. what the hell? But I guess it is what it is. We're all fucking up our kids, okay? <laughs> I'll just say that. We're all fucking them up. So is this pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I don't know. Like, and it's one of those things, too. Like, how do you fix it now? Well, then, yeah. You know, like, how do you there go back no and fix it? There is no fixing it now, I don't Yeah. Think. You think it's just, like. But at the know. same time, like. I don't follow through with anything, too. Me and my mom are talking about it. We just, like, I'm like, that's it. I can't believe you were a jerk or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, you know, she's like, can you get me Starbucks? I'm like, sure. <laughs> you just don't have, like, any sort of, what is it? I forget. It? I'm very forgetful about anger. <laughs> like, yeah. I can, anger, I'm usually very forgiving. It's yeah. Once it's done, I'm done and I'll move on until somebody refreshes it and I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah, so. but at the same time, like, it's not about, like, being angry at her. Yeah. There's sort of a, like, you seem disappointed. I mean, yeah. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you seem like you're let down that this was her behavior. It's one thing to be like, oh, that fucking sucks. Like, to say the F word, it's one thing, but to speak to your dad that way, like, that's, you know, that's hurtful. And I don't think that she got, like, I was mad that not that she just said that, but I'm like, you don't talk to my dad like that. Yeah, yeah. That that was in there, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm 35, and I've never come at Papa like that. Yeah. 
Did she did she understand it later? Like after you talked to her, we didn't really talk about it. She's mm-hmm. like, I know, I need to talk to him, whatever. And then she like huffs and she doesn't get it. Even when I do try to talk to her, everything is like an argument or a reason or an excuse mm-hmm. or round and did, round we go. Did your parents ever say anything like you were like that? No, I was not like that. But, mm-hmm. you know, Rob always, Rob came to our defense a lot when we were talking about it. He mm-hmm. said, you know, she thinks the world's out to get her. She had a shitty start in life. Yeah, yeah. He's like, so, you know, she doesn't think anybody's probably on her team. She's defensive mm-hmm. and all this stuff. And plus, she's a teenager. So I yeah. try not to mm-hmm. weigh that in with it. I'm like, you're right. I know. Okay. Yeah. It's just like you say, if you're afraid to take her someplace because of this, maybe like communicating that to her. And he said, don't forget that they all fuck with each other when they're up at the hunting cabin. So yeah. she could have thought it was Corby fucking with her. So she just mm-hmm. jolted awake. Or... Yeah. So. Oh, that's a lot of assumptions. <laughs> that sucks, <laughs> though. But you know what, though? Like, honestly, like, you're, everybody's fucking other kids. It's okay. But you're I was happy that <laughs> when I started getting upset about it, that as much as I didn't want to hear it, I wanted Rob to be on my side that he was advocating for her. Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, it's true. Like, somebody's sticking up for her. That's true. You know, speaking of angsty teenagers, I watched this show the other day, and it's called Never Have I Ever. Have you heard of it? It's on Netflix. I don't think so. I've played it. (laughs) It's it's a show, and it was produced by Mindy Kaling, who was on The Office. She played Kelly. I love her. On The Office. Yeah, so it's about a young Indian girl, and she is in high school, and... At the beginning of the show, so I'm not spoiling anything, um, (laughs) in the first episode, you find out she was in a wheelchair um, because her dad died at, it was like in front of her, he had a heart attack and died, but she was at a strings concert at school. She's in, you know, high school. I think she's in like ninth or 10th grade, or she was in ninth grade when it happened, and she's playing and her dad's there in the audience and he has a heart attack and dies. And so, like you and I were talking about before we recorded, it's the psychosomatic thing where she was convinced her legs wouldn't work. Mm -hmm. And so, she was in a wheelchair for the last part of that year, and so everybody sort of knew her as this wheelchair girl. And so, at the beginning of the show, it's the start of her 10th grade year, and she can walk again, and, you know, she's dealing with the trauma of her dad dying but also it's very much like um like the show to all the boys i love before did you ever watch that on netflix too no so it's there's like this hot high school boy that's there and so she's like crushing on him so she's investing all of her focus in him so that she doesn't focus on anything else any of the bad stuff yeah so even when you were talking about this I, I, i know it's a tv show but it sort of sparked in that way where it's like it's easy for her, you know, for your daughter to snap at that moment in that situation because there's so many things that are beyond her control still. Yeah. You know, she's she's pushing boundaries. She's trying to find where she fits in. You know, she's trying to figure out, like you said, who's on her team. Yeah. So, you know, it's sort of, you know, it's kind of one of those things, too, where it's like it's not healthy, but when people in relationships will push and push and push just to find how much, like, how much does this person love me? How yeah. unconditional are they? What can I do to this person to prove that they still love me? That's a great point. 
because I remember with my ex before my husband, mm-hmm. I was kind of a bitch. And it was because <laughs> it was like I could get away with I could get away with murder. And sometimes mm-hmm. I was kind of a bitch. My yeah. husband would murder me if I asked him something. <laughs> yep. yep. If you mouthed off, yep. <laughs> but it's like even if you Sit don't down. mean to and you're not mm-hmm. necessarily a vindictive person for some reason, you just abuse that privilege because you're not you're not a vindictive person you're not a mean person you would never intention like you say you forget about anger you're not the type of person to sit and brood and think of ways to hurt someone else like that's just not your mo you you would rather let it go because you don't like that emotion so you don't want to feel it so you'll let it go but in a situation where you're insecure or you know not ready or, or you know you're testing those boundaries in order to test it, sometimes you push that person you love to see how far does that love extend? What's the scope of that love around me? So I don't know. I would definitely recommend never have I ever. If you, if you want to watch it on it, it's funny. It's really like, it's, it, I, it opened my eyes and I don't know why I didn't watch it for so long because I should have put it on the day Mindy Kaling announced she was producing it mm-hmm. because everything I love everything she does everything and so this was no exception like they're already filming season two it's great like I'm, I'm really excited it's super cool like high school drama but it in a great there's a f- really feel-good element too about the relationship between the mother and daughter yeah oh my god like that the last episode like it's just so good the love between them it's really beautiful so you mm-hmm. should watch it it's good all right, let's talk about Mink a little bit before we get too too deep into this. So, the book we have today is called His Deadly Darling, and I'll read you the book bio. It's so good. Luke Knight thinks he can own me, can hurry me into a wedding, and then into his bed. He seems to know everything about me, but he's missed the most important point. I'm dastardly. I love that word, and we don't use it enough. Dastardly. <laughs> but I like his estate and all his money, so I'll bide my time. I don't obsess over his good looks and the way he makes me feel. Not a bit. Once he's dead, I'll be more than happy to be the grieving widow on a yacht in the shell. I think it's the Shell Islands. Seashell. Seashell Islands? I'm so bad at pronouncing places. <laughs> Uh, drenched in diamonds. Cassandra truly believes I'm the bad guy in her world. She's wrong. I can show her how much she means to me. It will take time and coaxing, coaxing, but I'll prove to her our love is deep and true. If she tries to knife me a few times along the way, what of it? After all, a spirited woman is exactly what I need, and Cassandra Carlisle was made for me. Mink's notes. His Deadly Darling is an insta-love, steamy, dark romance comedy with an HEA. Perfect for reading with a kitty in your lap and a spiced coffee sitting next to you. I love how cat upset she is. <laughs> because I looked up the, her top three rated books on Amazon. Are His Virgin Queen, Knocked up, Knocking Up His Bride, which that title, Solid Gold. Yeah. And then His Clever Kitten. <laughs> Those are the three. The Clever and, um, Kitten uh, cover is amazing it's ridiculous it's this big white fluffy persian cat it's and the girls holding on to it is beautiful mm-hmm. and then on goodreads um his virgin queen marco's girl and his stolen bride those are the three top ones on there i just thought was great like that's just perfect so this one is fun i've read this one a long time ago where i'm so it's excited a, to it's a comedy and watching them go back and forth because she's it's trying great. to pretend to be a badass, which she's not. <laughs> this is 
Great. All right, we're going to play the first installment of His Deadly Darling, and we'll see you on the other side. Are you certain this is the best course of action? Clayton cracks his knuckles. I adjust my tie and smooth a hand through my hair. For me? Yes. You don't know her. I meet his gaze in the mirror. You don't really know her, he amends. Stalking her from a distance is different than being married to her. Did her father accept the payment? I ask. Of course, he sighs. He jumped on the offer. Her mother did, too. They're both in Cabo right now, noses full of coke and flashing their money around. I nod. Good. I didn't want them here for the wedding. But I would have allowed it if my bride insisted. Your bride? He pinches the bridge of his nose, the skull tattoo on the back of his hand on display. This girl, Luke. This girl is trouble. I know. I ensure everything is perfect, then turn to my best man. She's a handful. She's got a mind of her own, and she certainly doesn't want to be my wife, but what she wants and what she needs are two different things. You certain you're ready for this? He takes a deep breath as I knock the dust off his shoulder. I saw her. I knew. I shrug. The more I saw, the more I liked. She's here, and she isn't going anywhere. How do you intend to get her to say her vows? I'm glad you asked, I whistle. Gray walks in, a soft black animal crate in his hand. Don't tell me that's her cat, yes. That cat is almost as much of a monster as its owner. Clayton scowls at the green eyes peering out at us. It scratched the shit out of me that time you had me break into her house and deliver vase after vase of flowers that she promptly dumped out the back when she got home. And she didn't stop there. She borrowed lighter fluid from her neighbor, soaked the flowers in it, then lit a match. That bit... I whirl on him, thunder rolling inside me at his near insult to my bride. He holds a hand up. I apologize. Slip of the tongue. I know you have objections. I take a deep, calming breath. I understand you have my best interests at heart, but Cassandra will be my wife. Nothing is going to change that fact, not her reticence or your worry. I know. He glances at the cat. But we don't have to take the cat, right? I mean, it won't be living with us at the estate, will it? I lean down and peer at the gray, fluffy ball of hate. She's temperamental, but she's here to serve a purpose. She hisses at me, her fangs bared, just like her owner. But what neither she nor my intended understand is that these shows of defiance only cause me to embed my claws deeper, to clutch what I want closer, to cage them and pet and stroke them until they love me. Because all they see is me. All they know is me. 
and this is how I will own their hearts. Can I at least be the one who threatens the cat? Clayton asks hopefully. Of course, you're my best man after all. He rolls his shoulders and straightens his tux. Good. I'm ready. I turn toward the door. Javier hurries out the door and music begins to play in the small church on the edge of my estate. It's an old building, dating from the 1800s. My parents were married here, though their ceremony was a bit more agreeable. But Cassandra's refusals won't matter once my ring is on her finger. She will agree to marry me before God and the priest, and then she will be mine. Her fury? Mine. Her soul? Mine. But what she doesn't understand, and certainly doesn't want, is all of me. Welcome to this production of His Deadly Darling, written by Mink and performed by Mackenzie Cartwright and Lance Greenfield. Chapter One Luke Are you certain this is the best course of action? Clayton cracks his knuckles. I adjust my tie and smooth a hand through my hair. For me? Yes. You don't know her. I meet his gaze in the mirror. You don't really know her, he amends. Stalking her from a distance is different than being married to her. Did her father accept the payment? I ask. Of course, he sighs. He jumped on the offer. Her mother did too. They're both in Cabo right now, noses full of coke and flashing their money around. I nod. Good. I didn't want them here for the wedding, but I would have allowed it if my bride insisted. Your bride? He pinches the bridge of his nose, the skull tattoo on the back of his hand on display. This girl, Luke, this girl is trouble. I know. I ensure everything is perfect, then turn to my best man. She's a handful. She's got a mind of her own, and she certainly doesn't want to be my wife, but what she wants and what she needs are two different things. You certain you're ready for this? He takes a deep breath as I knock the dust off his shoulder. I saw her. I knew. I shrug. The more I saw, the more I liked. She's here, and she isn't going anywhere. How do you intend to get her to say her vows? I'm glad you asked, I whistle. Gray walks in, a soft black animal crate in his hand. Don't tell me that's her cat, yes. That cat is almost as much of a monster as its owner. Clayton scowls at the green eyes peering out at us. It scratched the shit out of me that time you had me break into her house and deliver vase after vase of flowers that she promptly dumped out the back when she got home. And she didn't stop there. She borrowed lighter fluid from her neighbor, soaked the flowers in it, then lit a match. That bit... I whirl on him, 
thunder rolling inside me at his near insult to my bride. He holds a hand up. I apologize, slip of the tongue. I know you have objections. I take a deep, calming breath. I understand you have my best interests at heart, but Cassandra will be my wife. Nothing is going to change that fact, not her reticence or your worry. I know. He glances at the cat. But we don't have to take the cat, right? I mean, it won't be living with us at the estate, will it? I lean down and peer at the gray, fluffy ball of hate. She's temperamental, but she's here to serve a purpose. She hisses at me, her fangs bared, just like her owner. But what neither she nor my intended understand is that these shows of defiance only cause me to embed my claws deeper, to clutch what I want closer, to cage them and pet and stroke them until they love me. Because all they see is me. All they know is me. And this is how I will own their hearts. Can I at least be the one who threatens the cat? Clayton asks hopefully. Of course, you're my best man after all. He rolls his shoulders and straightens his tucks. Good. I'm ready. I turn toward the door. Javier hurries out the door and music begins to play in the small church on the edge of my estate. It's an old building, dating from the 1800s. My parents were married here though their ceremony was a bit more agreeable. But Cassandra's refusals won't matter once my ring is on her finger. She will agree to marry me before God and the priest, and then she will be mine. Her fury, mine. Her soul, mine. But what she doesn't understand, and certainly doesn't want, is all of me. That's what she will get the moment I claim her mouth and seal our iron bond. Like the cat, she doesn't feel my love. Like the cat, she wants to shred my fucking face, but also like the cat, she will come to love me. And eventually, Cassandra will sit in my lap as I stroke her, take her treats from my hand and curl up beside me at night, satisfied and warm in the inevitability of my embrace. Chapter Two Cassandra I will not put up with this for one more second, I shout to no one because I'm locked in a room alone. I pop another grape into my mouth, it goes perfectly with whatever this cheese is. I need to find out because I'll be wanting more. I'm always a sucker for a fruit and cheese board. If there's one on the menu, it's a guarantee that I'll order it. I'm trying to stay angry, but the food isn't helping. I know you're out there. This time my shouting isn't so loud with my mouthful of food. I pick up the sharp charcuterie knife and eye the wedding dress hanging on the rack, waiting there for me to put it on. It's beautiful. I grip the knife tight in my hold. I should shred it, then I'll have nothing to get married in. If I don't have a dress, 
then I can't get married. Problem solved. I raise the knife, resolve to destroy the gown, and even do a few practice swipes. But the crystals on the bodice sparkle, each little shimmer begging for its life. It's too pretty to ruin. I drop down into the comfy chair, but keep the knife in my hand. I might need it later. The fact is, I love this dress. I'd pinned it on my Pinterest board and gushed about it in the post. I mean, I never wanted to get married, of course. Men are, at their core, terrifying and cruel creatures, as far as I can tell. And unfortunately, I'm not into women. Despite no wedding bells in my future, I thought this gown was gorgeous. It's creepy that it's here, waiting for me to put it on. I glare at the gorgeous fabric. But I bet if I cut it up, Mr. Knight would just have another delivered. The bastard. Wait, no. I call him Luke. Everyone else calls him Mr. Knight. It makes it so much worse that his last name is Knight. Because believe me, he's not one in shining armor. I'd think his last name was cool if I didn't want to punch him. Luke doesn't seem to be the type that appreciates being defied. He's in for a real treat then. I smile for the first time since his goons locked me in here. I plan to give Luke a run for his money. He won't get any respect from me by calling him by his last name. I don't care how many times my father corrected me on it. Why would I give a damn about what he wants to be called? He bought me from my father like a piece of property. My father sold me, just up and handed me off in exchange for the cliche briefcase full of cash. Those jerks agreed upon a price and exchanged money for me. As easy as if they were at the grocery store buying a gallon of milk. I was a transaction, which pisses me off more than the pretty dress or the tasty cheese. It's ridiculous and outrageous, and I will be finding a way out of here once I finish my food. I should have known this would happen. Luke always gets what he wants. My own father warned me of that. I laughed and tossed out all of the flowers he sent me. I want nothing to do with a man that associates with my father. Birds of a feather and all that jazz. I saw how my father treated my mother. She put up with it, too. I didn't want that life or a marriage like theirs. I've been doing my best to fight back the only way I know how. But that doesn't seem to be getting me anywhere. My fingers stroke the knife hilt. They'll have to hold me down to get that dress on me. If they think I'm going to get all dolled up and walk down the aisle, they have another thing coming. My father might have handed me over like property, but I'm not going anywhere. I couldn't even if I wanted to because the door is locked. They can't keep me locked in here forever, though. Not if they need an I do. They'll have to pry those words past my lips with pliers. The door swings open a moment later. I have to control myself from popping up from my chair and making a run for it. I'm not going to get anywhere right now. I look back toward the cheese board and pretend Clayton hasn't entered the room. He's Luke's right-hand man. He says nothing. I can see out of the corner of my eye that he's just standing there. Keeping up the ruse, I eat another piece of cheese and moan around it about how good it is and too bad Luke's goons aren't entitled to any. He stays silent, his hands clasped in front of him, unruffled. I didn't think I could be any more pissed off. I was wrong. I break. My self-control is the worst. You could have knocked. What if I had been naked? I pick up another grape, popping it into my mouth and trying to play it cool. I'm also trying to hide the knife. 
I don't want to take Clayton down, but I will if I have to. I think I will anyway. I could do it. I swallow the grape and choke a little before it goes down. If I'd seen you naked, Mr. Knight would likely have my eyes removed from my head. I turn to look at him with my face scrunched in disgust. Gross. I'm eating grapes and you're over here talking about eyeballs? Yick. That's a front. It bothers me because I don't think Clayton is joking. I've heard things about Luke. Who knows what's rumor or half-truths and whole truth. Most of the tales came from my own father. And isn't he the biggest liar of them all? I'd laugh if it didn't hurt. See, I thought I was off to some fancy college where I'd be getting my own room and board. I could even take Ms. Kittles with me. I was down with not being under my parents' roof anymore. Sign me up. I'd still be under their thumb because I don't have a penny to my name, but I thought college would be a start to my freedom. I was getting the hell out of Dodge and nothing had given me more joy. I'd be going into the world of normal people. I'm pretty sure I'm one of them. Yet, the way my fingers wrap so easily around the knife makes me wonder if I'm wrong. Things seemed to be changing very quickly for me. I'd been dropped off here with my bag and my hopes of getting away utterly dashed. I was shoved into this room with my bags and all. It's clear there will be no college. Hi, I'm Cassandra, and I am a dummy. I'd never even asked the name of the school. I was that excited to get out of my house. I thought maybe my father had done that college admissions cheating scandal thing. In no time, I'd be rubbing elbows with Aunt Becky's daughter. But no, he couldn't even cheat me into somewhere right. I probably should have asked for a course schedule, or, you know, a college name. But I was so used to going along with what I was told that I assumed everything was being taken care of. You know what they say about assuming? Yeah, I won't make that mistake again. Clayton's glower has only deepened as I've been going over my foolishness in my mind. I think we both know you're not getting into that dress without a little help. That would scare the crap out of me if I thought he was going to forcefully put me into it. After the comment about his eyes being carved out of his head if he saw me naked, I don't think that's the case. My heart starts to race as Clayton reaches into his jacket. Have I gone too far? Sassed him too much? Does he know about the knife? I swallow, still trying to keep my composure. If I've learned anything from Ms. Kittles, it's to always play it cool. Never let the enemy know you fear them. You strike when they least expect it. Not that I've ever had to strike, but I've seen Ms. Kittles do it on a few spiders. She's so brave out there dueling with arachnids and trying to save my life. Clayton pulls out his phone, not a gun. I release the breath I'm holding as he takes a few steps toward me and I see what's on the screen. My stomach drops as I see the familiar whiskers and beguiling green eyes. I want to rip Clayton apart. You give me my little precious furry baby. Of course, Clayton agrees. Oh. That tone actually worked. I should try it more often. Good, then, in that case, I clear my throat. Bring her to me right in Of course I'll give you the cat after you say I do. Okay, so the tone didn't work at all. Give me my cat. I put my hands on my hips. She's waiting for you back in your new home. Take me there now, I stomp. 
He crosses his arms, hiding my Ms. Kittles from me. I'm sorry. Mr. Knight doesn't allow random women in his home. You must be employed or family. No trail of hookers or girlfriends. Wait, mistresses, that's what mom calls them. I snap my fingers as I remember. The thought of Luke's mistresses sours my stomach even though I shouldn't care. Still, it would totally piss me off if he's been hooking up with other women for the whole time he's been trying to get me to go out with him. These thoughts are ridiculous and irrational on my part. Yeah, I'm so not going to fit in with the normal people of the world, but I can fake it. Mistresses, don't be distasteful. He shakes his head at me like a father scolding his child for cursing. I'm being distasteful? I scream. I've been kidnapped, sold off. Please calm down. If Mr. Knight hears you shouting, he will come down here. He puts his phone back into his pocket. I don't want to see his face, I mumble. His handsome, stupid face that has haunted all of my dreams for the past six months since he entered my life. I hate him. You shouldn't see the groom before the wedding. Isn't that tradition or some shit? I bite the inside of my cheek not to laugh and remind myself I don't like Clayton. Miss Kittles get you? I ask and eye his scratched hands. That a girl. She's a menace. Clayton's face grows serious. What do you think I'll be? I tilt my head. If there's one thing I know, Clayton doesn't mess around with the safety of Mr. Luke Knight. I could end up killing your precious leader in his sleep. I could kill your cat, he tosses back. I gasp. That's just messed up. I can't believe you said that to me. I take a step back from him. He blinks. You just threatened to kill a person. I bat my hand like that's no big deal, but quickly drop it behind my back because it's the one with the knife. I'd be doing the world a favor there. Luke is too handsome to be roaming around anyway. Plus, if half the things I've heard about him are true, again, doing the world a favor. Ms. Kittles is needed in this world. She is the number one spider killer. Ms. Kittles is the Clayton of my life. I get why Luke has this taciturn jerk by his side. Clayton lets out a long-suffering sigh. If you want your cat, you'll put on the dress and walk down the aisle. Fine. I tilt my chin up. Fine, he repeats, clearly not believing me. What choice do I have? The first step is getting out of this room and then getting to Ms. Kittles. I'll marry Luke, like sort of fake marry him, even though the vows in the church and the priest are very real, beside the point. Anyway, I'll then go back to his place where I'll get my cat and make my escape. Bring in the makeup and hair people and all that crap. If I'm going to do this, I might as well look good while I do. Show Luke what he won't be getting at the end of this night. Oh, and a lawyer. Lawyer? Clayton asks. Prenup or whatever. I know how these things work. There will be no divorce, hence no prenup. He shrugs, but his face doesn't agree with his words. He's just as against this marriage as I am. Stop giving me more reasons to kill your boss man, I taunt. Clayton's jaw tightens. I don't care for your jokes. Sure, jokes. I got lots of those. I stroll back over to the chair and plop down into it. Send in the crew. Really, I'm stalling because I'm kind of freaking out on the inside. 
a small seed has sprouted in my mind. What if I did kill my husband? His kingdom would then be mine. I'd be free. I run my finger along the knife hilt. I'll send them in, Clayton says, and turns to leave. I won't be running. He has my cat. The truth was, the door was ajar the entire time we were talking. Even if I had Ms. Kittles, where would I go? My parents are gone, and my only friend is a cat. I've been kept in what one could call an ivory tower my whole life. I'm not sure I know how to function in the real world with all the normal people I was so eager to join. Ouch. I let the knife go and lift my hand. I cut my palm. It's only a scratch, but if I plan to kill my husband, I might want to get a little better with my weapons. Women in two tons of makeup and fancy clothes burst into the room, their voices high and busy. Make me look good, I tell them. Want to show my husband what he'll never have. They look at me confused. The only blood that will be shed in our marital bed tonight will be his. My virtue isn't going anywhere anytime soon, especially not to the likes of Luke. Maybe I've fantasized about him a few times, so what? That doesn't mean I'll let him touch me. The only touch he'll get tonight will be the sharp kind. Chapter 3 Luke She has a knife. Clayton takes position next to me at the front of the small church. Come again? She took the knife from the charcuterie tray, probably has it stashed on her body somewhere. He checks to make sure the rings are in his pocket. I smile. I'll enjoy stripping her bit by bit until I discover it. I nod at the priest. He gives me a nervous smile. My son, are you certain this is what you want? We're all sinners here, father, and I'm not the confessional sort. I'm paying him to do a job, not offer counsel. He takes the hint and backs away to the polished stone pulpit. How did she enjoy the food? I took great care in selecting her snacks. She's quite particular about them, after all. I ordered her favorite grapes and a cheese I knew she'd favor, then set up the tray myself to make sure it was perfect for her. She was eaten like a starving woman. Clayton almost smiles, almost, but not quite. Good. I take pleasure in the little details like that, knowing that she enjoyed something I chose just for her. And how about the cat? She didn't like that so much, he shrugs, but she's going to play along. I left the door cracked while I was speaking with her. She didn't make a move. She wouldn't have gotten far. Only a fool would try to run right now. She's surrounded, trapped on my estate and watched at every moment. All the same, my bride is cunning. I've known that since the first moment I saw Cassandra. She was sitting at her parents' table, her cat at her feet. During the course of dinner, she managed to sneak that cat most of her meat portion without breaking conversation or anyone else seeing. A small thing, of course. 
But a rebellious streak and a devious mind are the primary reasons I chose her. No one else is coming. Clayton checks his pocket for the rings again. We're ready to go as soon as she gets out here. Javier stands at the rear of the chapel, and my other men are scattered around the property. I've left nothing undone, no door unguarded. Cassandra will be mine tonight. Did she like the undergarments I sent her? Clayton shrugs. I didn't ask to see any of that. Good. I peer over at him. You testing me now? He bristles. Cassandra is a very attractive woman. It wouldn't be out of the ordinary for others to covet her. Maybe others, but not me. He reaches inside his coat and pulls out a blade. I'll swear to you right now on my blood that I will never so much as lay a finger on... I know. I flick my hand at his knife. No need for bloodshed. He stows it, but his countenance is stormy. Regret filters through me. It seems I can't think straight when it comes to Cassandra. That's been true since that first night I arrived to discuss the diamond business with her father, and it's still the case today. I'm sorry, old friend. I truly am. Perhaps wedding day jitters are real after all. His eyes open a little wider. I suppose it's not often that I apologize. He shrugs it off. I understand. Then he hesitates. I mean, I don't understand and I never have, but maybe this sort of thing is just something you have to feel. One day, Clayton, you'll get the same feeling. With the amount of trouble your bride's been and I can assure you is going to be, I hope that day is far off. He finally smiles. I match it. She's made for me. You'll see. I trust you. He doesn't sound too certain, but it doesn't matter. My heart recognized her, and that was that. A commotion at the back has Clayton on alert, but I hold him back. It's her. Relax. He rolls his shoulders. Fine. No music, no guests, nothing except the bare necessities for this affair. After all, she's about to be one of the richest women in the world. I can't have someone trying to kill me and take her, can I? No. It's better for us to be together with only my trusted associates. Javier opens the creaky door to the vestibule, then turns and gives me a curt nod. She's ready. My heart seems to swell as I take a deep breath and stare at the rough wooden doors. Nervous? Clayton switches into best man mode with surprising ease. Not a bit. I want this. Just like I've known my whole life when I wanted something, I know that I was made for this woman. She's young and rash and possibly violent, but all of that only makes me want to tame her, to make her my darling one with claws that scratch anyone who dares cross us.
When she steps through, I can't even find the words. She wears her favorite gown, as if the designer had her in mind when she created it. A plunging neckline, a tight bodice, and a dramatic skirt. My Cassandra would shine in burlap, but this gown, this gown, it was made for her. She stomps down the aisle in adorable fashion, coming at me like a hurricane. The ire in each step goes straight to my cock, and I'm hard and ready for her, wanting her to work out every bit of aggression as I fuck her raw. Oh, how my darling will scratch and bite when I make her come. Here I am. She holds her hands out to her sides in a look-at-me pose, then thumbs her nose at the priest. Let's get this unholy matrimony on the road. Her blue eyes are brilliant, her skin luminous, the cupid's bow of her pout perfect. She is a furious beauty, my opposite, yet also my match. I'm serious. She puts one hand on her hip. I want this over with. This guy is my husband, okay? Then with an overdone curtsy, she says, I do. I haven't, uh, I haven't said the... It's all right, father. You may proceed. I take her arm and pull her to my side as she fumes, pressing my lips to her ear. I remind her, Miss Kittles wouldn't appreciate your little performance. I'd hate for her to get declawed. I hear that cruel practice is rather painful and quite permanent. She gasps. You wouldn't dare. I stare her down with the same cold calculation that runs in my family. Oh, but I would. No, I wouldn't simply because it would hurt my Cassandra, but sometimes a strong hand is needed to keep a wild one like her in check. I'll give her plenty of leash once the ceremony is over, once she's truly mine. The priest drones on the words rote as my vixen fidgets, but behaves for the most part. I keep her hand in mine, feeling the softness of her. When she comes to her vows, she stubbornly presses her lips together. Come now, don't be foolish, I coax, as Clayton shows her live video of Miss Kittles. She wrinkles her nose, but submits. Fine, I'll marry you under protest. The priest dodders toward me. I'm afraid if she's protesting, I can't... I turn to my best man. Clayton, instruct Gray to remove the cat's tail. No. She scowls, her gaze absolute murder. I will marry him. Love, honor, cherish everything you said, and not under protest. I'm willing. The priest nods and steps back to his place. Well, in that case, Mr. Knight, repeat after me. I... I cut through his words and say my vows with perfect ease.
His gray eyebrows lift. I don't know why he's surprised. I calculate everything, including the quickest way to get what I want. The, uh, rings? He broaches. Clayton hands them over. I slide hers onto her finger. The gems from my very own minds sparkling beautifully. Then I hand her my simpler platinum band and offer her my hand. She pauses for a moment, admiring her ring, her eyes widening. Did she think I'd skimp on her gift? Never. Remembering herself, her eyes narrow as she slides my ring on, then quick as an adder. She swings her hidden blade at my throat. I catch her wrist and kiss it, then squeeze until she drops the knife with a cry. Clayton is glowering at my side, but picks up the knife without a word. She growls in frustration and yanks her hand back. I'll get you. Of course, my little vixen. I pull her into my arms. You've already got me. I kiss her hard on the mouth, sealing our vows and leaving no question of my claim on her, body and soul. Chapter 4 Cassandra I've never hated anyone more than I hate this man who is now my husband. He captures my mouth with his, silencing any protest that I might have. We might have exchanged vows to honor, love, and respect one another, but I will end him. He has no idea what he signed up for. If the circumstances were different, I can't deny that this would have been my dream wedding. Everything is perfect. My dress fits me like a glove and looks more beautiful on me than I ever could have imagined. Luke actually caught me off guard with his ring selection. It's stunning, to say the least. The weight of it is heavy on my finger. I'll likely still wear it after he's dead. A small token of remembrance. I shall play the widow well with Ms. Kittles at my side, her claws still in her cute tiny paws. My captor deepens the kiss. A small moan escapes me. I don't know where it came from. I lean into him because the heels are a touch higher than I'm used to. My fingers dig into my captor's tux jacket. Yes, that's what I'm calling this man that I'm married to now, my captor. I will never refer to him as my husband. He'd enjoy that all too much. He's won this round, but he can't win them all. I can be patient. Maybe I'm enjoying our kiss a little too much. His fingers dig into my hair, and he tilts my head back to give him a better angle to deepen the kiss. This time, it's him that groans, the sound rolling through me. I have to fight a whimper of need that flashes through my body. It's unwanted, just like my husband. Damn it, I mean my captor. That thought brings me back to reality. This isn't some passionate first kiss between lovers. He is the enemy. I strike as Ms. Kittles would. I bite down on his lip. He jerks against me, pulling me into him more. My feet leave the ground, and I gasp as his hard cock digs into me, causing me to let go of his lip. Careful, wife, I can bite too. His tongue comes out, and he licks the broken skin. The small throb between my legs grows. 
If you behave, I might even let you pick where I bite you. I narrow my eyes on him, ready to unleash hell, but I stop short when the priest clears his throat. Luke smirks as I close my mouth. A car ready? He places me back on my feet, but doesn't let me go. Already out front, Clayton confirms. It's then I realize it's me that hasn't let go of him. My fingers are still digging into his suit. I drop my hands away quickly and try to take a step back, but he only swings us around, tucking me into his side. He keeps me close. He's smart, I'll give him that. I'm sure my wife is ready to see our home. He leads me down the aisle I'd only just stomped down. I want to say no, that I don't want to see it, but I kind of do. I wasn't shocked when Clayton told me that women didn't come and go from Luke's home. I've heard his estate is like Fort Knox. No one gets invited in. Parties are never thrown there, and he doesn't show off his vast wealth. He has enough money and power to keep his affairs private. After all, his mines produce the high-end stones and metals sought after by the finest jewelers in the world. Getting invited to Luke Knight's home is a treat to most. It means you're in his inner circle. But for some, it means death. Those are the only times he invites people in, love or murder. Who knows in the end how my invite will turn out? Hopefully, it's with me and Ms. Kittles living in his mansion and Luke buried beneath our feet. I'm sure he keeps some condo for his mistresses. I know my father does, but to be fair, Luke didn't have a wife and kids. Well, not until now. But will he change his assuredly philandering ways just because he thinks he's bagged me? Again, my stomach sours. I welcome the feeling. It cools the weird throb between my legs that I'll never admit to having. He opens the church door for me. Thank you, I raise my chin. Thank you, he asks as he leads me down the stairs to the waiting car. He motions with his hand for the driver to get back behind the wheel. Luke opens the car door for me himself. It was stupid of me to try and kill you, I admit with a shrug. I mean, before we said I do. But now, what's yours is mine. I smirk as I drop down into the car. Open season. Yes, what's mine is yours, he responds as he leans down into the car. My mouth stupidly parts, thinking he's about to kiss me again. His fingers dig into my hair again as he tilts my head back. I let out a small whimper. His hold on me is quickly becoming my Achilles heel. My body keeps lighting up at his touch. Why would I ready myself for such a thing? I hate his kiss and his touch, I have to remind my body. I hate everything about him. And what's yours is now mine. He drags his nose along the column of my neck as he says the words before kissing me below my ear. I'll be taking what's mine. I'll be the only one that ever takes it. Again, I'm cut off before I can say something as he backs away and slams the car door. I sit there in shock for a second. A warm feeling coats my skin. I shake it off when he gets in the other side and pulls me to him, tucking me under his arm as the car takes off. I should fight him, but what's the point? I'd end up pinned to the floor of the town car. Holy shit. I clench my thighs together at that thought. That is definitely not happening. What is wrong with me? 
You put something in my food, I shout. That's it. I've been drugged. Of course that's what's going on here. This afternoon, while getting my hair and makeup done, I thought of all kinds of things I could put in his food to kill him. Just in case my knife plan didn't work. It hadn't, so now I need to try something else. But what if he beat me to it? You think I drugged you? He smiles as if the thought is laughable. Your body already knows what it wants. I don't need to drug it. He reaches out and tucks a loose piece of hair behind my ear. I bat at his hand and try to get him with my nails. He only smiles bigger. I should have thought of sharper nails when they gave me that manicure. Damn it. I stop to look at my hand and the giant ring. This thing really is a weapon within itself. I'd hit him with it, but like the dress, I don't want to ruin it. I drop my hand. You going to get me declawed too? I snip, feeling defeated as I fall back into my seat. He doesn't say anything. The car grows quiet. I shift in my seat. Cassandra. Luke says my name softly. I ignore him, wondering if it will bother him. I tried it on my parents many times growing up. They never noticed. Wife, he says a bit more strongly. I turn my head to look away from him. What is wrong with me? I should know better, but I'm doing it. My mom always said I was a brat. One day I'll call your name and you'll run to me. His voice is a sexy rumble, the promise of pleasure and pain mixed. Ah, you got jokes. I let out a humorless laugh. Know this. I can't stop myself from turning my head and meeting his gaze. I'll never harm a hair on your head. He says it with the same finality as his vow. But not Miss Kittles, right? You'd hurt her to get at me, I remind him. It won't have to come to that, will it, vixen? He picks up my hand, the same one I tried to smack him away with. He kisses the small cut I gave myself with the knife. You're the only one who can hurt yourself or Miss Kittles. That fate lies in your hands. He kisses the mark again before tangling his fingers with mine. He's right. I might not have all the control here, but I do have some power. I don't know why Luke Knight is so intent on making me his, but I need to be better with the power that I do have over him. I see it now. He really shouldn't have given it to me. I'll only use it against him. My eyes stay locked with his, and my heart does a funny flutter. I swallow, not sure what to do with everything I'm feeling. The car is silent, the driver looking straight ahead as we wind down a dark lane. I close my eyes and try to calm myself. Welcome home. Luke takes my hand as he opens his car door. I hadn't realized we'd stopped moving. He pulls me from the car. My head tilts back, taking in his home, our home the one that will be all mine after I kill him. I smile. I've always wanted a castle. Chapter five, Luke. No offense, Mr. Knight. Celine slurs her words only slightly. But Cassandra isn't the girl for you. How so? I hold my whiskey, but don't drink it. She's a little, 
She wobbles her hand to indicate crazy or something similar. She's never listened to me and is generally a brat. Celine sits next to me, alcohol heavy on her breath. But if you're looking for company and willing to pay, then... Tell me more about Cassandra. I look at her father, the man a mix of Adderall and cocaine. She's willful, smart-mouthed, and violent. He runs a hand through his thinning hair. Look, Mr. Knight, nothing would make me happier than for you to take her off our hands, but I don't want this to come back on me. If you were anyone else, I'd wrap her up in a bow and deliver her to your door, but you... He clears his throat. You're different. Because I could have his entire family killed, their bodies buried on one of my many properties, and no one would be the wiser. Yes, I realize. Violent? I ask. What has she done that's violent? Her mother gives up the seduction attempt and plops down in an armchair across from me. We tried to get her to learn piano. She takes another swig. She pulled a piano wire free from her grand and threatened to use it to strangle her teacher. He never came back. Let's not forget the French tutor. Her father shakes his head. Best damned French teacher in the city. She stabbed him in the leg with her pencil. He grabs one of the fire irons from its stand. She has no care for what we give her, for the sacrifices we made. We've even had to sell some family heirlooms to keep this house for her, to make sure everything is nice. He proffers the iron. These are antique if you're interested. I know why they've sold heirlooms. Not for their daughter, but to maintain the facade of being the wealthy Carlisle family. But they've fallen into drugs, alcohol, and disrepair. The family name will end with them. Put that down, Celine hisses at him, then turns back to me. She's a problem for us, and she'd be an even bigger problem for you. I see. I steeple my fingers. And you've kept her here even though she's 20? She has no interest in college? Celine waves her drink, spilling a little on the sofa. She's not college material. I mean, she's smart, loves to read, always scored high on whatever tests the eggheads gave her. What would a girl like her do in college? I mean, I never went to college and look at me. She smiles and reveals the lipstick smeared on her teeth. Cassandra was supposed to be married off and getting her MRS degree, but she's damaged goods. No man wants a crazy woman for a wife. What's that book about that? He keeps her in the attic. Jane Eyre, I say. No, she shakes her head. Doesn't ring a bell. She barrels on. But Cassandra, I'm sorry to say, will never amount to anything. If you want some fun with her, she taps her finger on her chin. How much would you offer for a night with her? I bristle, but try to keep my voice calm. Excuse me? She's a virgin, we know that for sure. If you wanted to be the man to pop her cherry, we'd entertain an offer.
And she wouldn't mind her virginity being sold like that? My grip tightens on my glass. We can drug her, hold her down, whatever you want. As long as the prices rise. She licks her lips with lascivious hunger. My glass shatters as my blood boils, and it takes every ounce of control I possess not to strike them both down and beat them to death with one of their antique fire irons. Celine pops up. Oh no, let me help. I'm fine. I deposit the broken glass on the side table and pull out my handkerchief to wrap my bleeding hand. Rising, I say, I understand the Carlisle family has fallen on hard times. Celine's overdone face cracks as she adopts a self-pitying look. Marty made some bad business choices. This again? Cassandra's father glares at the fire. I will send for Cassandra to... To fuck her? Celine smiles. Don't interrupt me. My tone is level, but deadly. She steps back and lowers her gaze. Sorry. As I was saying, I will send for Cassandra within the week. Have her ready. She will be my bride and live with me at my estate. If she chooses to see you, she may. If she chooses not to, then you will honor her request. I turn to leave. The money? Celine follows me into the posh for 1976 foyer. I'll wire a generous sum when I come to claim her. What you do after that is up to you. I scoop her into my arms. She protests, her little hands forming into fists and pummeling me. It's tradition. I carry her over the threshold, then set her on her feet. Welcome home. How many people live here? Cassandra steps away from me, her gaze going all over the foyer, down the wings, and straight ahead through the glass windows that give a view of the lighted pool. You and me. Eventually, our children. She scoffs. Not happening. Maybe not right away, no. I won't pressure her into children, though I must admit I want them. But those decisions are ones we'll make together. Never. I let her have the last word. For now. My associates stay in the guest house behind the pool. You mean your goons? A man like me has many enemies. I shrug. Money and success breed jealousy, and there's always someone out there who wants what I have. I give her a long look. It will be even worse now that I have you. Don't worry, she grins. You won't have me for long. You'll be dead. You still plan on murdering me? I don't doubt she'll try, but I also felt the way she clutched me, the way she responded to my kiss, her body heating as her tongue danced with mine. Her mind and body are in a disagreement. But I've been quite adept at dividing and conquering my entire life. Yep, 
You're a dead man walking. She struts forward, her hands on her hips. But I'll like living here without you. I'll keep it nice, so don't fret about that. Thank you. I gesture toward the stairs. Would you like to see our room? Not a chance. She scowls. It's an act. I can see her so clearly, the dark heart that struggles for freedom. She's been caged until now, her mind and body encased in the life her parents created for her. I want to set her free, but she has to give me a chance before that will happen. But I can be patient and cunning. Well then, I stride toward the curving staircase. I suppose I'll see how Miss Kittles is faring without you. She's up there? She cranes her neck back to look at the second floor landing. In our room, yes. Bastard. She stalks past me and hurries up the stairs. I follow. When I reach the top, she whirls and shoves me with all her might. I easily hold my ground and grab her wrists. Bold, my darling vixen. A broken neck on the staircase would have been rather convenient. I yank her to me, her surprised mouth open as I taste her again. She scratches at my chest, her nails doing no damage as I grip her ass, my hands molding to the satin and lift her. Her little moan is all the urging I need, and I stride toward our bedroom. She will be mine tonight, and I will use every dirty trick I know to make it happen. The double doors to our room are already open as I carry her inside. A meow seems to wake Cassandra from the haze of lust, and she wriggles in my hold. I put her down, and she runs over to the cat carrier. Miss Kittles! She opens it and clutches the gray tabby to her chest. She is unharmed as promised. I strip off my suit coat, then unbutton my shirt and step into my closet for a moment. When I return, Cassandra is plopped on the rug and cuddling her pet. I'm so sorry. Did those mean men hurt you? Did they mistreat my sweet one? Did you tell them you're the greatest spider slayer this world has ever known? The cat eats it up, meowing pitifully and butting Cassandra's head. I stride over and drop to my haunches. The beautiful feline stiffens. So does the cat. Hello, Miss Kittles. We haven't been properly introduced. I hold out my hand, expecting the tabby to scratch and bite me. Instead, she eyes my hand, then moves closer. Cassandra's eyes widen when Miss Kittles licks my proffered fingers. She's never done that before. Cassandra shakes her head, then looks at me with something just short of admiration. You're the only man she's ever liked. Animal intuition. I use my fingers, the ones I coated with tuna oil, to scratch Miss Kittle's head while I smile down at my vixen.
She knows you and I are meant to be. Chapter 6 Cassandra I pick up a purring Ms. Kittles and hold her in my lap, away from Luke. She likes him. She doesn't like anyone. Though it could be because he's provided her this castle. What girl wouldn't be a little excited about that? It will be even better when it's just ours. I have no idea what I'll do with all this space. Miss Kittles could have her own wing if she wants. I doubt it, though. She loves her little princess bed that I see out of the corner of my eye. Now that I look around, I notice that all my things are here. Luke must have had them brought over. At least that's done. One less thing I'll have to do once I get rid of him. I think something fishy is going on around here, I say, still not believing she licked him. I was sure she was about to bite him and I was going to get a good laugh. Luke smirks, not denying it. Probably because I'm crazy. How could he have gotten her to lick him? Damn it. She is falling under his weird touchy spell, too. We just need to make sure he doesn't touch us anymore. My mind keeps saying it, but my body doesn't always seem to listen. The way he just scoops me up and turns me around and kisses me and turns me on, it's ridiculous. I need to be stronger. I am having fish prepared for Ms. Kittles for dinner. The chef is making it now. Luke stands, if that is to her liking. I feed her canned food. He is trying to one-up me with my own cat. I feed her. Fine, I'm bitter. Miss Kittles curls into a ball, getting comfortable on my very expensive wedding dress. She doesn't look the least bit upset about anything. Why isn't she freaking out? I guess I'm doing it enough for the both of us. I'd plan to eat you, but it looks like that will have to wait. I let out a small gasp. He probably did have those plans, and I'd almost let him. When he gets that mouth on me, I seem to forget everything, especially the fact that I'm supposed to kill him. Miss Kittles had saved the day earlier, breaking me from the lust fog I'd fallen under. She no longer holds just the title of spider slayer, but cock blocker as well. I pet her little head in appreciation. There will be no more licking. I point first to Luke, then to Ms. Kittles, who ignores me and licks my finger. She doesn't seem as happy with my finger as she did Luke's. She gets up from my dress, trotting over to her bed and plopping down. Luke reaches down. I let out a small scream as he lifts me to my feet. He helps me balance so I don't fall over in my heels. Get ready for dinner. I had your things brought over and picked some things out myself as well. I'm not hungry. I look anywhere but at him, because I notice my eyes keep going to his handsome face. Ever since he mentioned he had plans to eat me, I keep thinking about that face between my thighs. If the way he kisses is indicative of the pleasure he can provide, then it's no wonder I can't stop thinking about it. Liar. He grabs the top of my dress, and with one hard yank, he rips it right down the center. Holy crap, he's strong. As good as you looked in the damn thing, I'm the only one that takes you out of your wedding dress. My dress? It's now in a pile at my feet. Did you want to save it? He asks. I don't know why, but I'm just shocked he ripped it. A little more turned on, too. Damn. 
pass it down to one of our daughters one day? He adds, you want daughters? My hand flies over my mouth. I can't believe I said that. I don't think I've ever heard a man say he wanted a daughter before. At least not from the men I'd grown up around. My father never let me forget how much better things would have been if I'd been a boy. Why wouldn't I want daughters? He steps towards me, pulling me to him. My hand drops from covering my mouth to his chest. I'll take a son too, whatever you'll give me. His lips come down onto mine. Again, catching me off guard, he kisses me deeply. Stars burst in my mind as he runs one hand to the nape of my neck. But then he pulls back from kissing me and takes a step away. My hand drops from his chest. I fight myself not to lift it and put it back. This is going to be so much harder than I thought. He is supposed to be mean and cold. He shouldn't be getting Ms. Kittles to purr. Me too, for that matter. Every time he touches me, my body can't help but give in. His eyes roam over me. Put clothes on before you come downstairs. For the first time, there is actually a warning to his tone. I look down at my underthings and let out another small scream before bolting toward the bathroom and slamming the door behind me. I hear his laughter from the other side of the door. There aren't any weapons in there, my little vixen, but I'm sure there will be a steak knife at dinner you can steal. I hear his steps, then the doors to the bedroom close. The man is quick, not just in speed, but in thinking. If I'm really going to kill him, I'll have to be quicker. My eyes look up to the mirror. My lips are swollen, and my lipstick is gone. My hair that was perfectly styled is now a mess. I look sexy. My eyes trail down to the silk panties and bra I have on. I don't remember thinking that I looked this sexy when I'd put them on. I close my eyes, taking a breath, trying to get it together. When I fling open the bathroom doors, Ms. Kittles is sitting in the middle of the giant bed, having made herself at home. You're not helping, I snip at her. She lets out a cute meow. Sorry. I go over to her, petting her until she rolls over and gives me her tummy to rub. We better get ready. I kiss the top of her head. Luke was right. I am a liar. I'm starving. I want to go to dinner and get out of this room before he comes back looking for me. And I give in to him. Best if I stay out of the bedroom as much as possible. I head into the closet that I saw him disappear into earlier. My eyes almost pop out of my head. It's bigger than my old bedroom. No, my old bedroom could fit in here three times over. All my things are already hanging in a neat row. Everything is put away as if it has always been here. It gives me a sense of comfort when I look it over. I didn't think when I left my old house that I'd ever see my things again. Not that I want to go back there. I just hadn't realized what a difference seeing them here would make. It makes it feel as though it's more of a home. No, I stiffen my upper lip. This isn't my home. I didn't have one of those. Home is somewhere you feel like you belong. At least I think that's what it's supposed to feel like. My fingers run along Luke's suits until I reach my own clothes. I bypass them and stop at all the new things hanging with tags. Some I've never seen before. Beautiful, nonetheless. Some of these items I had searched and saved as favorites. 
this man really doesn't miss a thing. He's going out of his way for me. I reach for the Dior dress that feels like heaven on my fingertips. I don't even think it's out yet. I slide it over my head, and like my wedding dress, it fits me perfectly. I wonder if he handpicked it for me or sent one of his workers to get it. I don't know why the thought of him selecting it for me brings a tingle to my body. My stomach growls, reminding me of the reason I'm actually getting dressed at all. I slip into a pair of red-bottomed shoes and stop to look in the mirror. I look damned good in this getup. Let's hope that looks can kill, because if they can, it will save me a lot of trouble. Chapter 7 Luke She meets me in the hallway, and I stifle my need to pull her into my arms. Does she have any idea what she does to me? Turns me into a brute who can only think about pleasing her in every way she deserves. What's for dinner? She strides past, her chin up and the red-bottomed heels accentuating her long legs. I'm glad you asked. I take her arm and walk with her toward the stairs. She doesn't shrug me off. Progress. I've hired a chef who's prepared beef wellington with risotto and seared scallops. I'd use my usual chef, but I wanted this to be especially delicious for you. She stops in the middle of the stairs. That's, she narrows her eyes. That's the menu from Hell's Kitchen that I have pinned on my Pinterest board. I love that show. I know. I escort her the rest of the way. Her heels click when we hit the marble foyer. Who's the chef? The suspicion in her voice is edged with excitement. I suppose we'll find out. I give her a short tour as we walk to the dining room. And this can be your office should you want one. I point to the book-lined walls of my small but well-curated library. Yes, please. Then she shakes her head and adopts a haughty expression. I mean, I'll choose whichever room I want once your body's in the ground. Of course, I agree affably. She wrinkles her nose. I'm serious. Yes. No. She stops. I mean, I'm serious. I'm going to kill you. I want to remind her that she can't even kill a spider. She uses Ms. Kittles for that bit of death. But I don't. Because she truly feels strongly about murdering me, taking what's mine and gaining her freedom. All right, but could you wait until we meet the celebrity chef? She clasps her hands in front of her, her eyes wide. Is it really him? A string of curses in a decidedly British accent reverberate from the kitchen. Oh my God, it's him. She jumps up and down, a feet in the heels she's wearing. Would you like to meet him? I tamp down my jealousy. He's married and he's been briefed on what's expected of him. Are you kidding? Yes! I hold my hand out to her, 
She takes it, her palms sliding perfectly against mine. Let's go introduce ourselves. I walk with her to the kitchen door and push it open. The entire room is a whirling dervish of activity with the chef at the head. He turns and smiles, his hands open toward us. Mr. and Mrs. Noyam, welcome. To my utter surprise, Cassandra doesn't disavow the name. She simply pulls me over to him and gushes about how he's her favorite chef and who she thought should have won season three. She shines, and I notice more than a few stolen glances from some of the assistant chefs. I'd like to murder them and throw them in the deepest mine I own. But I won't, because I'm the one whose hand she hasn't let go of. I'm the one who will be making her moan tonight. And I'm the man who will tame this little vixen at my side and enjoy every second of it. Did you enjoy it? I toss my napkin beside my plate. She pats her stomach. I've never eaten so much in my life. No? Mother never would have let me have this much food. She shakes her head. I think her goal was to pawn me off on some gullible rich guy, so she wanted me thin and pretty. You'd be pretty no matter what your weight. I mean the words. She's beautiful, and I'll take her however I can get her. Really? The surprise in her tone somehow hurts me. The thought that she would devalue herself based on her looks doesn't sit right. Does that make me the gullible rich guy? My blood still boils when I think of how her mother tried to sell me her virginity right along with the antique fire irons. Hey, if the shoe fits. It should ring as an insult, but instead she smiles playfully. But somehow, you don't strike me as gullible. Foolish? Yes. I mean, you married someone who wants you dead. You still plan to end me? Definitely, she nods. Clayton stands in the hall, and I can almost hear his neck creaking with tension as the threat rolls off my vixen's lips. She groans as she stands. But maybe it can wait until after I come down from this food high. Upstairs? I offer my hand. She takes it. Because I want to see Ms. Kittles, not because I want to be with you. Naturally. We walk through our home, and I can tell she likes the decor by the way her eyes seek out the art and glittering lights. Stopping at the base of the stairs, she turns her head toward the formal sitting room, then gasps. Is that? She pulls away from me and hurries into the room. It is. She stands and looks up at the artwork that takes up a good portion of the side wall. You're a fan of Klimt? I ask. I love him. I've stared at this painting so many times on the internet. I know. I've had access to her internet browsing for the good part of the last six months, ever since I first saw her at that dinner with her parents. 
I even know what porn she prefers, the way she likes her coffee, and the particular brand of face cream she favors. What do you love about it? I can tell if something is beautiful, but I've never truly had an eye for art. However, I acquired a Dell Blockbauer One by Klimt at an auction, paying a hefty sum for the golden portrait. But I'd have paid double or more if it meant I got to see my vixen with wonder in her eyes. I love everything about it. She speaks as if in a dream. Every bit. The expression on her face, the necklace, the realism mixed with the fantasy of so much gold that it's layered in different hues, as if they're different weights. She has an eye. I store that fact away for later. For now, it's time for bed. Come. I take her hand again and lead her away from the painting. Can I look at it in the morning? She asks. This house is as much yours as mine, and so is the painting. You can look as much as you like. Thank you. She seems to say the words despite herself, because she quickly follows it with, I mean, yeah, I can do whatever I want because you'll be dead and all this will be mine. I smile and lead her back to our bedroom as Clayton stalks through the house, making sure the chef and his entourage leave and no one else enters. Once I have her inside our room, I close the door and pin her against them. Wife. Her pupils widen, her warm body against me, and she kicks her chin up and says, For now, I smirk. Now is all I need. She gasps as I claim her mouth, and I intend to claim much, much more than that. Amelia Wilde has a brand new book out today called Hidden Beauty. Is Leo Morelli a beast or a prince? He locks Haley in his castle for her own safety. She sees only the beast in him, but the worst is yet to come. Hidden Beauty is the second book in the Beauty and the Beast trilogy from USA Today best-selling author Amelia Wilde. Find her at awilderromance.com. That is the freaking cutest website ever. It's A-W-I-L-D-E-R romance.com. Go ahead and download Hidden Beauty today everywhere you get books. Amazon, Apple, Nook, Kobo, Google Play, or add it to your TBR list on Goodreads. Welcome back. We're cutting you off. (laughs) All right. So you're going to have to come back Thursday for the second installment. Be sure to check out this week's giveaway. I don't know what it is. I forgot to ask. (laughs) Um, Be sure to check that out. Follow it. We'll post it all on social media and we'll post it on there. So... And if you want to watch us record, watch us on YouTube. Go hit that subscribe button. It really helps us out. We appreciate it. So, Tell them what to do. Fuck your day up. Make today your bitch. Don't be a dick. Bye. Bye. Read me romance. Read, read me romance. Read me romance. Read, read me romance. You could take a look in a book that's fine. Or you could sit back, relax, and unwind. And read me 